Hey guys. Hey guys. Welcome back to the Selfie Show. It's Tori and Sam. Two besties bring you all things healthcare, humor, and unpopular opinions. And I am gonna pop off today oh, I love this on one. an unpopular opinion. Okay, let's let's get into it. Oh, you want to go straight in? Yeah. Okay. yeah. okay. It was Mother's Day this past weekend. I am so tired of the gatekeeping of Mother's Day. Oh, interesting. Like, okay. one, it's a man-made fucking holiday. Hallmark, first of all. for sure. Yeah. It's like, Absolutely. just be good to your mom all year round. Dads, partners, whatever, don't suck. Yeah. All the time. Right, we love And this. then we don't feel like we <laughs> need to go out of our way to celebrate. And then it's like, oh, you're good to them one day a year. Right. Here's your breakfast in bed one day a year. Right. I'm sorry, if I ever push out a baby, I better get lots of breakfast in bed. But secondly... <laughs> The really? amount of people that get triggered when I say things like, dog mom, it's not the same. Okay. Mm. We know that. <laughs> Your wallet I, might, might I, disagree. Yeah. My vet bills disagree. Like $5,000 surgeries. That would be, that's more than my out-of-pocket max for my insurance if I were to able to have my dogs as on my insurance. But that's neither here nor there. It's just the amount of people getting so bothered and gatekeeping and owning it and feeling like... It's some competition. Right. Of, uh, well, I'm a stepmother because I stepped up. Good for fucking you. Right. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm happy. I have step parents. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, mm -hmm. same thing on Father's Day. So I'm not even just exclusively to Mother's Day. On Father's Day, when single moms are like, happy Father's Day to me. Mm -hmm. And it's because I do both. Good. <laughs> you fucking rock. But this isn't your day. So just chill yeah. the fuck out. Yeah. I don't know. It just bothers me because it's like, it's not a competition right. of who's the best mom or who gets to be classified as mom or not. For some people, this is a deeply troubling holiday because right. their mom sucks. Yeah. Their mom's not in their life. Or their mom was literally the most amazing person and is not with us anymore. Yeah. Or you were raised by grandparents. I don't know. It's such a or like you lost personal. A child and, yeah. Yes. Or you have your parents and you've loved Mother's Day, but now you as a mother have experienced loss. Or you're spending your first Mother's Day in the NICU, not mm -hmm. feeling like what m typical mothers they should be so i'm like why are we gatekeeping the dog moms right in the grand scheme when this is such a like emotional Walmart. day and hard right. day for some actually some businesses give you the option to opt out of mother's day emails oh but okay. how about don't cram them down our fucking throat to yeah begin with? right right but anyways try i to monopolize know. on i it. think i just am like it's i always will post happy dog moms day just to piss people off <laughs> and i will always get comments of it's not the same i'm like i know do we need a mom dogs day no do we need because this? it's stupid because I don't really think I'm a mom. But yeah. what if I yeah. am infertile and can't have kids? Right. Yeah. And just let me have that one piece of joy of feeling like my dogs are my children there or something. Go. I don't know. You don't know what people are going through. What yeah. if I, like, you don't know if someone just had a miscarriage. I don't know. Just shut up. Stop gatekeeping. Let anyone enjoy the day the way that they want, want to enjoy it. it and shut the fuck up. Or not celebrate And scene. I don't know. You can wait. No, in. I love it because <laughs> I'm like, ugh. Well, okay. And there was another, there was a video on TikTok that went viral, which I absolutely loved. And so, okay. So anyone who's ever had young children is keenly familiar with obviously this holiday struggle, packing up the kids, the car, yourself, making rounds to all the extended family. So what about Mother's Day? Should moms with young kids feel obligated to visit grandma on that day too because it's like this extended thing of like if you're a new mom and then you also have to visit grandma you also have to visit mother-in-law you always you, you know what I mean so it's like this extended thing I and feel like a lot of moms spend their mother's day working yes all day yeah like. it's like it's like it defeats the whole purpose right like if you're a mom and you have to like get the kids ready and enjoy this day and then also do it for your mom or your husband's mom or your parent or 
your partner's mom. It's just it becomes this whole big thing. And I'm like, just let mom chill and like have her glass of wine and do nothing at home. How about that? And just watch junky TV or read that book or just relax the day and have like breakfast in bed and not have to worry about the whole extended family. In defense of all the grandmas, though, if I had you and I was a good ass mom and now Mm. I'm a good ass grandma and you're going to let me just rot in my little rocker chair that day and not come visit me. Oh, I'm writing you out of the will. (laughs) For sure. For fucking sure. I'm done. Like, really? You're dead to me. But I I mean, some grandmas are bitches. I had really great grandmas, but I had some friends where I'm like, my grandma makes me breakfast, makes me grilled cheese, makes me homemade Play-Doh and is the best. Your grandma's kind of a rat, like (laughs) crotchety old bitch. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess it depends like how sweet your grandma is. But I think honestly, true unpopular opinion, if if I ever have kids on Mother's Day, fucking I don't want to see them. How about that? How about like for Mother's Day, you go take them to Legoland for the day or Mm. some shit. Let me just chill. And like, let me go get a massage and have peace and quiet from all of you. Absolutely. Not that I have kids, but if I do, that sounds like a very Mm. Manicero kind of Mother's Day. I love that kind of Mother's Day. Maybe I'm never going to have kids at this rate. (laughs) That's like me just putting it into the universe. I just think like the whole thing is the Hallmark holiday I don't know. I think we're all a little over it. But I like that we're having these conversations because it's like it's not the white picket fence outside perfect for everybody. So I think acknowledging that and honoring people in the way that they want to honor it. Yeah, I think just let everyone if they want to say they're step parent, if they want to be a dog parent, if they want to be a what. Just shut up and let people enjoy one second of happiness in our otherwise miserable lives while we suffer from inflation and (laughs) like God God knows what. You know what I mean? Our country's falling apart. And just let people have a little slice of joy if that makes them happy, even if you think it's stupid. Just stop. We absolutely That's all. Stop the gatekeeping. We love this. And this is perfect timing. So we actually, this is like the perfect episode for this. As I'm like, fuck them kids. By the way, (laughs) speaking of today's guest. This is the greatest guest, you guys. We can't wait to get into Um, it with Carly. Okay, so today we have on Carly Steinberger. She is a child psychotherapist who works with young children. She works closely with parents to teach them how to help their children reach emotional well-being so they can enjoy more moments as a family. She has successfully cheated treated children zero to seven years old who have tantrums, have lived through traumatic experiences, are defiant, have difficulty with transitions, and have experienced family changes like divorce, separation, or loss of a parent. This is a topic we know so many of you guys are experiencing, or maybe potentially you're an auntie, right? So we wanted to get an expert on today. This is a great episode for all of us out there who, you know, we're learning. We're millennials, most of us, and some Gen Z. So we are thrilled to have Carly on, and we're going to be talking all things parenting styles, simplifying parenting, social media with children, tantrums, meltdowns, and big emotions in childhood, and so much more. We have lots of tips in here for all of us. We know we needed these today. So without further ado, let's welcome Carly to the show. Okay, thank you so much, Carly, for coming on today. We're thrilled to get into this episode with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Fun Aunt Vibes. That's what we're given. Absolutely. Sam and Aunt Tori want to know all the things. We do. We do. So we have to ask our question for you, Miss Carly. What is your unpopular opinion? My unpopular opinion is 
And I say this with a caveat of I, I do this, I participate in this, but that tourism is overrated. Where? <laughs> what, what kind? Let's dive. International, domestic, theme parks. Like, what are we working with? I pretty much say all of it. I think that tourism often just doesn't give you like a profound, deep experience. And I say that once again with the caveat of I participate in it. I've been a tourist many times. But I'm finding now as I age, I just prefer a deeper experience. And I actually want to explore more around my home. Oh, I like that. I actually enjoy that. Well, and I think tourism as a in general, as a tourist, they always tell you to go to specific spots and like specific hotels and like have this kind of experience. But there's definitely something where it's like we miss the locals only vibes, right? Like I love the yeah, locals definitely. only. So like when you're going places like Sam, I know you went to Cartagena and you did like the off the grid things. Okay. I <laughs> love to travel, but I don't like tourist traps. I want yeah. to go to where are the locals eating. That's where the good food is. That's where I want to go. Like where am I not finding on TripAdvisor? That's where I want to go. I that want to find like, because I feel like, okay, you can go to an entire country and you don't get any sort of takeaway of their culture or any of that because you just hit up all the tourist spots and you're not actually immersing yourself with the culture and the people and the food and getting any sort of authentic experience or understanding. So that's, yeah, that's how I definitely. feel about traveling. How is Cartagena for you? Oh my God, go. It's so fun. <laughs> the food is amazing. The people are super nice. Weather was like perfect all year round. I'm, it's a cool, it's a very chill like place. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I've been. I went in 2009, oh, okay. but that's one of the places I think has made, I've heard has been like destroyed by tourism. So I was curious if you Honestly, been there I would say like I was the only English American tourist. There was a lot of tourism, but it was from the rest of South America. Mm -hmm. So it was like other oh, okay. people were traveling there from other countries there. So they were tourists, but they weren't white American girl tourists. I really- didn't speak English once the whole week to people that could that were working places. But other than that, like I had no one to talk to because my Spanish is trash. So I <laughs> felt like even when I saw people staying at my hotel, they were all speaking other languages. So it's like there is yeah. definitely a lot. And I know it's become like a more popular travel destination, but I don't uh -huh. know. I still felt and I didn't stay again where the touristy trap was. I was in Jets many and I probably butchered that. But I wasn't in the walled city area where that is like yeah, really yeah, yeah. the old tourism, city. the old city. So I didn't stay there. I walked over there just to get the vibes. But I could definitely see where that was catered more towards tourists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. When I was there, I thought it was the hottest place I had ever been. Oh, where are you from? I'm from Michigan, but I lived oh, in wait. Southern California six oh, okay. years. So it was just, it was so hot. I remember. It's humid. I, loved it, I went I... in January though, specifically because my birthday's in January and I don't like to be cold on my birthday. So I was like, yeah. where can I go in the world that's going to be warm on my actual birthday? Yeah. When you're oh. traveling, Carly, I'm curious. So like keeping that in mind, do you have any good travel tips or like what are you doing to kind of keep that in mind when you travel? I think I try to go to countries and places that aren't as popular it's hard because i feel like every place has just blown up so much but i think you're more likely to get a richer deeper experience if like sam says you're not in a place that's a tourist trap so i'd really like to go to bolivia because i'd never i never hear about anybody going there and i think 
it'd be an awesome place to visit. But I think for now, I do really want to concentrate on places that I know and just like knowing them deeper. Okay, so we I, we had discovered you from one of our former guests, Macy, who I would say her episode truly was one of our most popular when we started oh as a co-host That was together. like one of our early guests when we joined together, but her episode just resonated with so many people. Yeah, it was very Brene Brown vibes. It was very much geared towards yeah, like there. finding your tribe. I think it was the first time we had someone that wasn't nursing, like hospital, yep. doctor, nurse, blah, blah, blah. It was right. like going the first kind of let's go into mental health yes and she you and her you guys have a working relationship a great relationship and so she highly recommended you and so and I think with everything going on in terms of social media and there's so many heated feelings behind parenting and parenting styles and Mm -hmm. kind of all of those things are coming to light and I do love these conversations I feel like these conversations are ones we should be having about how to better ourselves as a community it takes a community to help raise children right like i think it's good for us to all be aware of how to best support our upcoming generation so yeah let's get maybe into your background how did you get into this work and maybe hear a little bit about before you got into this so in college i studied history I thought about studying psychology for a minute and then for some reason I abandoned it because I found history and I really liked it at the time. Um, And like many, I guess, history majors, I graduated. I didn't really know what to do. There wasn't a clear career path lined or set out for me. And I ended up joining the Peace Corps. I was in the Peace Corps. I was in Morocco for about a year and a half. Mm. And... After that, I came back, I moved to New York City, that's where my partner was living at the time, and I got a job, like a social services type job, because I had always been drawn to volunteer jobs, and I really liked helping people. I ended up working in an eviction prevention program, and I learned so much, and I got the opportunity to work with, with people, and I really liked that. So I was like, okay, how can I continue this? And that's what I decided to be become a therapist. I say that so easily now, but really my path was not that clear because there's a bunch of different degrees you can get to become a therapist. I didn't know what degree I wanted. When I decided that I wanted to be one, I ended up taking some psychology classes because I, I wasn't sure if I wanted a PhD or a PsyD in psychology or to get a master's. And I ended up deciding that I wanted to get a master's because I decided that I liked the hands-on aspect a little bit more, and I wasn't as interested in doing research myself. I got a master's in social work, and that's basically how I became a therapist. While I was in school, I heard about what I I ended up doing and what I do now, which is working with very young children, so children zero to five or zero to seven years old, I started grad school, I didn't know that was an option. And when when I found out that was something I could actually do, I was like, that's what I want to do. I have a question about even when you were deciding what to get your degree in, because didn't realize for a long time how many different, like you can say you're a therapist, but have a different degree, different routes, different backgrounds. Can you just 
give us a little background on the difference between licensed clinical social worker, like a LMFT, or just having your psychology degree? Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. There's a bunch of different degrees, and it can be really confusing. So I actually didn't know what a marriage and family therapist was until I moved to California. I'm from Michigan. I had lived in New York also before moving to California. And marriage and family therapy or marriage and family therapists have a master's in psychology. And that degree specifically only exists in certain states. So in Michigan, it doesn't exist. So I'd never heard of it before. Clinical social. I didn't either. Actually, but we're yeah. from here and I've been seeing an LMFT <laughs> since I was like 18. Yeah, so for sure. that's why I'm yeah. like, I always knew what they were. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Way. That's really interesting. Yeah. Because if you're in California, you wouldn't know. But I you know when I moved out there, I was like, what is this? I remember people telling me that they were getting a master's in that. I was like, I've never heard of that. And I think um, out here we always think social workers of what we see in the hospital or like we work yeah. in a children's hospital. So their involvement in like child protection services and that thing, not realizing that social workers can be therapists mm-hmm. too. Yes, they can be therapists too, but they can do those other things. So marriage and family therapists can't really, they're just therapists for them. At least that's my understanding. If there's a marriage family and marriage and family therapists out there who do something else, please feel free to correct me. But they have a degree in psychology and they're therapists. But if you have a degree in social work or specifically a master's in social work, that means you can become a clinical social worker And you can work in a variety of settings. So you can work as a therapist, you can work in a hospital, you can work in programs and nonprofits, but Mm -hmm. not really be doing therapy specifically. So that's the degree I ended up getting because being from Michigan originally, I thought maybe I want to move back there one day. There aren't marriage and family therapists in my state, so I need a degree that applies to all the states. And there's also licensed professional clinical counselor as well. Okay. What's one thing that you did not expect when you became a child therapist? I'll answer this question based on the therapy that I typically do, which is with a parent and child in the room. Mm. I think it, it can be really hard just to manage two people at once. I feel like I have to be attuned to the parent's emotions and the child's emotions. And sometimes I do individual therapy with parents or ch- children, but you know, doing mainly therapy with a parent and child in the room. It's just, it's really hard sometimes to manage so many people. And sometimes I've had sessions where I have two parents present. Mm -hmm. And that I think is maybe the most difficult part for me of my job because sometimes something happens and I want to respond to it, but I also have to think about the other people who are there and it just can be difficult. Mm -hmm. When you're seeing your patients at that specific age, that young, what are the things that you're seeing? Typically, let's say you're talking to the parent who has a younger child and thinking like, maybe this is something that I should be seeing someone about to gain some tools. What are the diagnosis that you're seeing or what are the the reasons people are coming to see you? I'd say one of the biggest ones is aggressive behavior. So tantrums, hitting, having a really hard time calming down. Not that all tantrums are aggressive, but I think a lot of the parents who come to see me do have kids who have aggressive tantrums. I think also parents who have kids who just have really big emotions, this sort of fits in like the tantrum realm. Kids who have a hard time calming down. I feel like it's sad, but I think that the kids who are 
more withdrawn often get overlooked for therapy because usually they're pretty compliant and have Mm -hmm. quote unquote good behavior, but often they actually might need it more. And so I do see some of those, but I think it's usually the parents who have the kids who have quote negative emotions. Yeah. Negative emotions are behaviors that are more difficult to manage because Mm -hmm. kids who are withdrawn are often not difficult to manage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this all private practice from the parents or does any of like the school systems or like government like subsidize or like kind of help offer access to any of these types of like very early intervention type services, I would say? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like you doing therapy at this young of an age to me feels more early intervention instead of like, let's wait till they're 18 and real fucked like us. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Yeah, I think it is. It is supposed to be preventative. Often when I do have to give a diagnosis for an insurance purposes, I often just use the diagnosis childhood emotional disorder because it's sort of like a catch-all. And I don't necessarily want to put a label on a kid that's so young, like Mm -hmm. three or four years old. At that, you know, they're they're really like not meeting diagnostic criteria for anything. How much does that shape the rest of their like, because are we going to always treat them differently because we labeled them with something so early instead of, I don't know, there's so much growing that happens in your brain still. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of these problems are often problems of development. Mm-hmm. It might be that the child is maybe just a little bit stuck in an earlier phase of development. So I often don't feel like it's best to put a diagnostic label on them at that point because it could just, as I said, be a problem of development and mm-hmm. they might need more parental support and therapy to get through that. But to answer your question about programs, if you are in the state of California, and that's the only place I've worked for as a therapist, so I can't really comment on other states, but, and you have Medi-Cal, you can access community mental health services. There are birth to five programs that are great. I think if you have private insurance, you can still find these programs, but you are either paying a copay if your insurance doesn't cover all of it, or many therapists don't take insurance at all. So might just be paying out of pocket. But yes, there are, there definitely are programs available and therapy available too, which you can put in the, in the category of early intervention. Right. Are there any like people that typically would refer your patients like pediatrician or teacher or like, et cetera, Someone to who's like seeing- something to maybe say, hey, I recommend or refer to like services such as yours? Mm. Yeah. Where are we like catching this? For sure. Often it's schools. Schools, I'm Mm -hmm. sure. Shout out to our teachers. Love our teachers. Yeah. Schools. And I'm sure sometimes I think pediatricians too, but often kids spend a lot more time in schools and school programs than they do at the doctor. So I think teachers, in addition to parents, have their... So before I was in private practice, I did work in a community mental health program. And we got a lot of referrals from Head starts, early head starts, and schools mm. where there was an issue had been identified by a counselor or a teacher, and then they sent out a referral to the community awesome. mental health I agency. Agree. That didn't exist when we were growing yeah. up. Even to be in elementary school, junior high school therapy was not it like was very part taboo. of our very taboo. 
And I remember when my parents yeah. first told me at 18 to go to therapist, I've never was so offended and just angry mm-hmm. at them for suggesting it. I was like, no, absolutely not. I was so against it. It's really amazing how much the mindset has shifted because I also had the experience where I was sent to a child therapist when I was really young, like four years old. And I harbored this as like a great source of shame yeah, until right. basically my 20s. I never told anyone about it because it was like this deep, dark secret of mine. And I was embarrassed about it. Do you mind me asking what the reason was at the time for your your treatment? And I was in therapy as a four-year-old and I was, my mom sought out therapy for me because she noticed that there had been a change in me since my brother was born. My brother is two years younger than me. And I think a lot of this is what I've heard because I was four when I went. But I think experience that as like a traumatic event almost or just like a really big stressor in my life, which mm-hmm. it can be. Birth of a sibling can be huge for little kids. And my mom noticed that I was really different after and just angry. So that's why she sent me to therapy. That's actually kudos to her yeah, because I feel mom. like back in our day, like right. when we look at back then, it was kind of just written off as, oh, they're just, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So many things we just brushed off as whatever. Oh, like, just deal with it. Suck it up. Yeah. And I was a very emotional middle child. And it was like, oh, she's just very sensitive. She's so sensitive. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gotta use yeah. some tools my, for my sensitive little elementary school self. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe that's a good question, too. So, okay, maybe speaking to the parent who, what are some signs and symptoms or not symptoms, but when you're categorizing this as parents are coming to you, what are some things okay. that you think are good times to reach out to a therapist? Like mm-hmm. they're saying this from their co- child. Is that something they should come for? What are some things that parents can use or directly come yeah. to you for? I'd say big life event. So that could be birth of a sibling, death in the family, divorce or separation, and behavior change. Kids communicate through their behavior often because they don't, especially young kids, because they don't have the words to express what's going on with them. But I think if you know your kid, then if something happens and there's some kind of change, even if it's not necessarily negative, it might indicate that there's something that they're working through and that they might benefit from therapy. In terms of categories, because I know obviously we were just talking about diagnosis and we don't want to put labels. There's like a delicate balance with this. What are some of the diagnosis specific when you're putting in like, quote, a category? What are the things you're saying? Is this like autism? Is this when you're talking behavioral, like how, what kind of categories are you looking at for that age range? If I suspected a kid had autism, that's, I would refer them out for further psychological evaluation to to confirm that. So usually that's not something I treat directly. I, I think that some of the interventions that I do can certainly help with autism. But what I'm usually looking for are behaviors and how they regulate their emotions. So emotional issues and behavior issues. There's, that's categories. sort of my ballpark. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's just funny now looking at just the premise of 
adults and relationships and their ability to communicate and all of that. It's like mm-hmm. how you said this is preventative or whatever. I'm just like, <laughs> wow, how much this could have changed so many people's lives who are trying to work through these same things, but like in their 30s, Absolutely. In their 20s or whatever, yeah, 40s. Definitely. It's really why I wanted to work with young kids because once I learned about infant development, infant and early childhood development, I was blown by like blown away by what I learned. And you learn more in your first three years of life than in any other three year period in your life. So really the way I interpreted that, and there's other ways to interpret it too, is that is the most important period of your life. And it's kind of a period that's pretty glossed over. And yeah, I agree. I think that working with young kids and making sure that young kids are emotionally supported is really crucial to having a happy and healthy society. Mm -hmm. So now that we're three years deep into post-pandemic COVID, what have you been seeing as an impact or result from pandemic you hear a lot about people always joke on tiktok like covid babies are different (laughs) or built different (laughs) and stuff but some of those people in their early developmental years that experienced their first three years of life or years one through four literally in pandemic yeah what What are you what are you seeing from that i think anxiety levels are just higher and i'm sure that's what a lot of therapists are saying but parents definitely had higher levels of anxiety understandably and then it's sort of just like trickled down in a way That and I think difficulties with socialization. I hear that from parents where they had a young kid in the pandemic and that child didn't have as many or any opportunities to socialize. And now it's harder for them. It's interesting that you bring that up. So when initially I had reached out to you, I was actually at uh, my sister-in-law's house who they just had a baby about a year ago. And she actually teaches for, she teaches kindergarten for autistic children. And she mentioned something that I thought was really interesting. She was saying that children now, a lot of the issues she's seeing in the classroom is a really hard inability with like focusing. And she sort of thinks that potentially this is something that maybe came from the use of social media, right? Or the use of technology for a lot of parents when they're having children who are acting out or very becoming impatient, hand them an iPad or hand them a phone. And I'm not saying every parent does this, but I am Mm -hmm. curious, like in terms of attention spans and social media, like what are you seeing with that kind of thing? How are we going to navigate this? This is a crazy time, right? Like for parents in general, what are your thoughts on that with children, social media, technology and attention spans, tantrums, like that kind of category? All right, listen up, all of my nursing students that are tuning in today. Do you want to pass your nursing exams and the NCLEX with ease? Then check out Simple Nursing. Simple Nursing is the best study resource on the market with their thousands of videos, colorful study guides, and a massive quiz bank to test your knowledge. PowerPoints and textbooks are so old school, while Nurse Mike's animated fun videos really make difficult concepts easy to understand. And listen, as a former nursing professor, don't even get me started on their NCLEX prep. Mm. There's adaptive assessment exams, personalized study plans, and an entire review series. You can try them out 100% free today. Just head to their website, simplenursing.com forward slash podcast 
Again, that's simplenursing.com forward slash podcast. Now go crush it. Go crush it, you guys. The first thing that comes to mind is, and I feel like this is related to technology usage, it's just much harder for kids to entertain themselves. She mentioned like there's just a, I don't know, I have a lot of parents who tell me that it's impossible or almost impossible for them to get stuff done because they can't leave their kid or their kid has such a hard time being by themselves. Can they not just sit there and play Barbies? Because I think about me and my sister used to sit there all day and play with Barbies, with Barbies and the room. And she was a little bit younger than me. And then she would sometimes spend her whole day building her whole Barbie town and getting them all ready and then planning the wedding and doing all these things. And then I would come in and I would go tornado and I'd throw all her Barbies in the air. And then my dad would yell at me. But anyways, it was like we would entertain ourselves. We would literally just... My brother would build his Lego thing and okay. I, we'd be like sitting there playing with our Barbies or our American Girl dolls all day. Yeah. And that was it. And it's right. like, yeah, we, we didn't have like any of it. Technology. No. Yeah. Right. So wild. I guess kids are just like yet less used to using those creative muscles now because like when you're not doing that when you're watching a screen, really, yeah. you're not. It's passive. You're not actively using your brain a lot of the time so when it comes down to entertaining yourself with just toys it's much harder or like imagination think, imagination yeah yeah did you ever used to just play with cardboard boxes and you're like get markers out and it's like oh this cardboard box that this like whatever came in yeah. delivery is now all <laughs> of a sudden our like spaceship for the next week or mermaids in the pool oh my right. god <laughs> Oh my god, I'm so good at mermaids. I could play mermaids all day yeah. long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And that was something that Megan had mentioned was she felt like there was a combination of two things as a kindergarten teacher was the sort of a different or a swing with children in lack of imagination or un inability to create. Okay. And then the other part she was noticing was patience and not mm -hmm. the ability to not wait for something. Yeah. Because what she feels is it potentially could be from the introduction of social media, right? So you, oh, here's this, entertain yourself with yeah. a pad or with a TV or that kind of thing. And so she's saying that as a teacher, it's like hard to get pe children or the concept to sit and wait. And patience is a virtue, right? So yeah. I'm curious, like, maybe... Are I don't there... even know what dial-up internet is like. <laughs> Right. Oh my God, imagine like you guys, I mean, we used to have to wait patience. to log right. in. Yeah. We had to wait to log into the internet. Yeah. It wasn't just there. Yeah. Right. I don't know if there's any, maybe specifically along that line, like maybe some good tips for a lot yeah. of people out there. And what are some good formative things in the first couple of years to really think about in terms of parenting styles and like, how can we help our children for a long period of time, right? And the to heck? better them. One thing that's really crucial is to know as a parent that it is not always your job to fix things for your children and, all, and to make them happy. Actually, mm. I think it is really healthy for children to be sad and disappointed, even by you as a parent, because they will be sad and disappointed in their lives. And I think if they don't learn that in the early years because they're constantly catered to, they're just not set up for success later on. It's going to be that like much this. harder for them when they confront something difficult or have their first big disappointment if they have been constantly pleased or entertained by their parents. Ooh, so that that is a big one. 
just setting up the expectation your child can and should entertain themselves. You could even start small, like, okay, now for the next 10 minutes, you know, you're going to play by yourself. Early on, I think can be really helpful later. I love that. Yeah. Well, and it sparks creativity, right? Yeah. I think that's another thing is I really like that you're saying that because something that I noticed as a new auntie mm-hmm. and the learning <laughs> was our little baby Trey. There were moments where she would put a new block set right in front of him and he would get a little fussy and she would say, it's okay. And then put it back in front of him and then she'd kind of walk away and do something. And I thought that mm-hmm. was really interesting because... I do think as a natural instinct, I wanted to fix it for him, mm-hmm. right? Like right. he was whining. So I wanted to go over and I wanted to be like, oh, like, but entertain she, him. Uh, entertain 100%. But I really liked her style of doing that. And I think that's a good point to bring up is like, okay, in terms of parenting, like, what are some good tips? Like, if you have a fussy child or something, like, is there a good way to, I don't know, redirection or like, What's a good amount of time to allow a child to be frustrated or those kinds of dynamics? Yeah. Exactly. Like knowing where the line is. I think it's really hard. Tori, I think the story you just told is beautiful and probably it will, it will really help your nephew in the long term. I don't know. I feel like there's not necessarily a cut and dry answer. Like there's no like magic number, but I think allowing for some struggle is a good thing. I think you want to be intentional about the activities that you you set your child up with. Like, don't give them something that's impossible for them because then they'll just that frustration. Yeah. They'll be frustrated forever and it will be futile. But if you know that they're capable of, uh, of doing a certain activity, I think it's okay to let them struggle until they do it. And maybe, you know, you can offer support, but minimal assistance because you really want to teach them that they can do it. And actually, in the end, that ends up being like an antidote to depression because depression is helplessness. It's when you feel like you can't do anything. And people who feel effective are often not depressed. So it's by doing something so small like that, you are helping your child or putting them on a path to good mental health. Mm -hmm. Do you think helplessness can be like a learned behavior sometimes? Because I'm not discounting the fact that depression is very much biology and brain chemistry and things like that. Like I've had my own mental health struggles. But in general, do you think some of that can even be contributed to a learned like helplessness? Yeah. I've never thought about that before. But Oh, yeah. That's definitely a, a concept in psychology. And it's sad. It's just that person has internalized that they can't do it. So they might feel that they really can't. But it's maybe from an earlier experience where Mm -hmm. that was taught to them somehow that they Mm -hmm. couldn't. Mm -hmm. I feel like my wheelhouse is like teenagers. I've always coached cheer and I worked at a group home for teenagers and troubled teens is like what I did before nursing. But the early stuff is unknown to me. But I feel even with teens, it was the same thing of parents just wanting to be their kids' friends. And I used to always be like, they have enough friends. They only have one set of parents. And then. What you're kind of talking about reminds me of almost just like a helicopter mom or helicopter parent mm. ideology of just always wanting to fix and make sure everything clean and, it up, like make it perfect, yeah. make everything perfect. That yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's funny. It's one of my peds questions for the like Erickson stages of development yeah. for infants was the fact that 
if you meet their needs before they've vocalized them to you, it's the trust versus mistrust is the zero to one year or whatever of Erickson's. And it's like you build distrust by not even giving them a chance to vocalize their needs and everything by just always prematurely or preemptively meeting their needs before even letting them recognize and identify and then vocalize that they need them. And I always thought that was so interesting. Yeah, it's and that's so true. You want to feel or people who I think in general have good mental health feel like they can take care of themselves Mm -hmm. or feel like they can meet their own needs to some degree. And if you feel like you can't and you always have to rely on others, then your mental health is probably not great. The big one. Can we get into it? Yeah. Which one? Go. Gentle parenting. <laughs> okay. Right. Parenting styles. That was yeah, literally where my head was going. Like, okay. TikTok now is trending like when there's a lot of different mommy TikTokers and even bloggers. <laughs> In and vogue parenting. Just, like what's, yeah. what are we supposed to be doing yeah. versus, yeah, all of these. Yes. I would love to know. Okay. So maybe let's go through that. Yeah. What are the main parenting quote styles or I know, of course, some Even the traditional ones with, and maybe yes. the new age ones. Yep. Yeah. Let's get into those. Yeah. So in grad school, I was taught about, let me see, like four different parenting styles. Authoritarian yeah. parenting, right. authoritative parenting, permissive parenting, and I think the last one is neglectful although i can't okay, yeah. remember yeah. off the top of my i head. thought but those in peds and i was always like eh, this is kind of stupid so i skipped that slide well and since then a lot of new things have come about so now we're seeing gentle parenting and then is there another couple types of parenting that you're seeing when parents are kind of focusing like what are those types as well and maybe a little breakdown of those the one that i hear about most now is gentle parenting or respectful parenting. That's the type of parenting style that I see most promoted on social media. And that that type of parenting, I think really it involves being very attuned to your child's emotions Mm -hmm. and not doing consequences like time out kind of relying on natural consequences. So a natural consequence would be your child is getting very ready very slowly so they have less time at the park as opposed to maybe coming in and giving them a a timeout or implementing some other kind of consequence for them Mm -hmm. getting ready slowly. I think in gentle parenting from what I've read does emphasize setting boundaries but often I think in practice... I see people who really heavily subscribe to that ideology not doing that as much, Mm -hmm. even though it is in the literature. Mm -hmm. But I think it sometimes that stuff interferes a little bit with parents' abilities to set boundaries, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, so it's kind of like the idea behind it is while wonderful in practice it's not always super practical or maybe there's things the other thing that I think I had mentioned or you and I had talked about was you could have in your head gentle parenting but then what if your child's not responding to that right yeah they don't every child's different so it may be while you want to do that 
you have the child who really is not going to be responsive without more boundaries, without more potential uh-huh. consequences to that. Because in real life, there's yeah. going to be a consequence. You don't, you get ready slowly for work, you show up late, and you, there's uh-huh. going to be a consequence, whatever. You know Never what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, like still, a bigger kids are consequence so than different. Than, yes. Yes. Like, like you and your brother. I have three siblings and we would not have responded to same parenting styles. And it's like, I think we don't give parents enough credit for how hard it is because it's like different just because something worked for one doesn't mean it's going to work for another. And it's like there is no magic secret to being a good parent. But sometimes it's just being able to actually recognize your child's differences and figure out what works for them. But I'm like, that's so hard to say because my sister and I would have never been able to be parented the same right and we were raised the same and we yeah. had very different outcomes so right. it's like right. it's interesting right yeah there's a psychologist who talks a lot about that like his name's Gabor Mate and he says that no two children grew up and grow up in the same home mm. you know mm. yeah which I think is like a great a great quote but yeah I completely agree with you it's just I think there are kids who don't respond super well to this gentle parenting style, especially because it involves a lot of really validating your child's emotions, which I think is great. It's beautiful and parents should be doing that. But I think there are, I've also seen cases sometimes where a child is really emotional. The parent is intense or wants to validate that child's emotions. And usually what happens is it just, escalates the situation even further Mm -hmm. and what that child actually needs is maybe a space to calm down maybe even by themselves i mean some of these kids who do get really escalated don't like physical touch or contact but gentle parents are really wanting to connect with their kids at all times so sometimes they try to connect with them even in those moments and it just doesn't it doesn't go well and right the solution is often to let them calm down on their own and away from parents so they can engage with them later. Mm -hmm. But it feels kind of counterintuitive to what gentle parenting promotes. When you're talking about gentle parenting, can you give a brief overview of that? Because so for me, I'm we are aunties. We have not (laughs) had children yet. So what's the general like overview of gentle parenting? Like the brief pitch. Yeah. It it involves seeing your child as a whole person, really attuning to their emotions, validating them, and setting boundaries. But as again, as I said, I think that it often gets overshadowed by the validating emotions part and not using consequences like timeout. Relying more on natural consequences that just occur in the world and aren't necessarily done by the parent okay and then what's another type is there another type of parenting you're seeing that's very in vogue right now like what's another type of parenting or that a style that people are using not really to be honest i mainly see that one and then i think just people who pick and choose who and i think to go back to the four parenting styles that we learned about in grad school from before i think Sometimes what happens with the gentle parents is they just fall too much into the permissive category because the setting boundaries often gets overlooked, even mm-hmm. though, as I said, I think that is emphasized in the gentle parenting literature. 
but maybe not enough. What would setting boundaries yeah. look like? I'm like, well, uh, how do you use ages? set boundaries? Right. I think it involves being really clear about expectations and house rules and also holding to a no, regardless so what, okay. of your kids' feelings. And I think what's hard for parents, is, as I said, is seeing your child upset can be really upsetting, but often... Often it's good for kids to be upset because then they learn how to deal with those difficult emotions, right? such as having of... anger towards their parent or just being sad. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. It's healthy since mm-hmm. it's a part of life. So it's making me think of like sleep training. That's like, exactly what do you, what are you, because that <laughs> yes. kind of involves that. Like a lot of people that don't feel like they can do it or want to do it or whatever is because they don't want to hear their child cry. Right. right. And feel like they're just letting Start, them yep. cry. And others, I know some people that have sleep trained and they're like, yeah, let them cry it out. And then pretty soon they have this kid that sleeps through the night and like they're all well rested and happy and life is good. And I'm like, it's so interesting. I'm glad I don't have to make that choice. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, OK, yeah. So maybe that's a great question, too. From your okay. perspective as a therapist, is there a right, quote, time when that's appropriate or something mm-hmm. that where people can do? And the second part is, what are some good tips for sleep training? Because I think that's a really big aspect. And a lot of us millennial and then the upcoming Gen Z, like we want to do right by our children and we want to do the best. But what are some good tips that you have for that? Yeah, I think where parents go wrong with sleep training is just doing it too early. Like it really shouldn't be done before six months. I say that, and I'm sure that there are babies who have been sleep trained before that time who are perfectly okay. But I think to be safe, you should wait at least six months. And once again, it really depends on your kid. I think if you have a really sensitive child or baby, doing something like sleep training might be too difficult for them. It just might be too painful because they might need their parent maybe a little bit more than another baby without that temperament. Got it. So, yeah. What about timeout? Let's go there. In that realm, to go back to the social media stuff, there are a lot of stuff on social media about timeout. I don't think that timeout is inherently traumatic in itself. And I see, I guess, some kind of... I see content on Instagram or just other social media that maybe doesn't say that directly, but it's kind of suggesting that like you should never do it. It's wrong. It's going to traumatize your child. But I don't think that's true. I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, yes, you should be putting your child in the timeout all the time because I don't believe that either. But I don't think it in and of itself is is traumatic. And I think Sometimes it can be useful for kids who need to be away from any kind of stimulation to calm down. I don't think it's effective in the way that parents sometimes talk about it, which is, okay, okay, go sit there and think about what you did. It depends on age. Some kids who are younger might not be able to do that as easily. But as I said, I think... It can be effective for those kids who actually just need less stimulation in their vi- environment to calm down. Like mm-hmm. it can be helpful for them to be 
just away for a little bit so they can regulate provided that they're old enough to do that. Like, I don't think time out for a two-year-old is often, I think, not appropriate because they might need more parental support. But for an older kid, I think it it can be fine. But once again, it depends on your kid. What about biting and kicking or hitting? hitting? What yeah. are Yeah. So maybe understanding a couple of the reasons and then what would be some good tips or tangible things you can leave for us if those are things that we're seeing? Once again, it depends on age. Biting can occur in kids who have difficulty with verbal expression and can be a form of expression. Same thing with hitting, can be a form of expression. If that's the issue, then I would work on helping the child develop their language. If they need to go to speech therapy, I would do that. I'd want to help them express themselves verbally and also try to teach them vocabulary like no or I don't like that so they can resort Mm. to that instead of kicking, hitting, biting, etc. If it's an older kid, I would, however the parent is comfortable doing this, convey that the emotion that's behind the biting or the kicking or the hitting is fine. It's okay to be angry, but it's never okay to do something aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I would be really clear about that. At what age do you feel like kids develop that conscience or internal set of morals of knowing hitting's wrong or kicking is wrong, biting's wrong? I think as early as toddler dumb they can. Mm. It's just good to know. Yeah. It's interesting because I think kids are so much smarter than we we think or give yeah. them credit for. What other tips do you have or ways for parents to correct behaviors? Back in the day, it was timeout, spanking, all that. (laughs) And other ways for other parents. What other ways are there that maybe people aren't aware of to help correct behaviors? Besides waterboarding and (laughs) any kind of that. As I said, I think timeout can be effective depending on how it's done and depending on the age of the child. Quick, just going into that yeah. before we go in. Like, it, what is a good way to do that? Yeah, what does timeout look like? What does is that look like? Sit in the corner for a minute or go to your room where you still have yeah. all your toys. Yeah. Because my sister loved timeout. She was like, oh, I'm going to go sit right. in the room with my Barbies. <laughs> right. Cool. Um, yeah. So one of the therapies that I do is called parent-child interaction therapy. And in that therapy, the parent is taught a version of timeout, which I do think is effective. And that version of timeout involves them sitting on a chair, usually, basically until they're ready, until they're ready to come back and not repeat the behavior that landed them in timeout or listen to the parent if that was the reason that they went to timeout. But yes, I think that if timeout ends up being fun that it's not really a consequence so sam i have heard stories about parents maybe sending their kid to their room or something that they're just playing in the room and enjoying it the message that's conveyed is that it's not uh, a consequence Mm -hmm. i think it needs to feel like Mm -hmm. a consequence like a time away i think removing privileges also works a privilege being the ability to use the ipad at night or something like that Or, 
the fun outing that they're going to do, if they have planned to mm-hmm. go to the park, they can lose that too. I think all of that is is okay. I'd say something that comes up a lot is kids really need to know what behaviors will result in a timeout or any kind of losing of a privilege mm-hmm. or consequence. I think if that is clear, then the kid is much better set up for success. Mm-hmm. So, What are ways and, parents can make that clear? I think you can talk to your kid and really go over what will happen if a behavior happens. If you hit, this is what's going to happen. And that way the expectation is set up from the beginning and the child knows. And they'll really know if they do that behavior, then there's follow through. I think kids get confused when there's inconsistency mm-hmm. and that all comes from the parent. So be consistent. If you said that this is what's going to happen, if this happens, then that's how the world has to work or the house has to work. So just giving kids really clear expectations is key. Do you have any tips for parents to help teach their children how to communicate their feelings or to just work on that aspect of being able to verbalize their emotions? It can be modeled. Parents can do that too. And, And a great way to do that is explaining to your child that you were upset and that's why you made a mistake and you yelled at them, that you didn't want to do that, but you were mad and frustrated and that's why that happened. Because I'm sure all parents have that experience of temporarily losing it with their kids. So that's one way, labeling emotions as parents see them. So connecting a word to expression that they see on their child's face like oh you look really frustrated right now and I know that because uh, of how your eyebrows look or that your fists are clenched and you're really trying to complete the puzzle but you can't and it's hard Mm -hmm. so any Mm -hmm. of that will help kids build emotional awareness right like verbalizing and telling them yeah what and, and maybe on the flip side of this, in terms of rewards and okay. good behavior, oh, yeah, like positive reinforcement, right? Pavlov, right. there we go. The what, basics, <laughs> yeah. What are some good for our younger growing adults and babies and the people growing into the future? What are some good rewards that parents can implement for good behavior? Really depends on your kid and what your kid likes. I think if you figure out what your kids like, then you can find ways to motivate them. Mm. We're we're talking about external motivation here. And there's also internal motivation because I actually think it's more important to cultivate. External motivation, I think, does work and is helpful, but it's internal motivation. I think that's actually really good to talk about. So cultivating internal motivation it goes like nurture versus nature right so how much of that is nurture and Mm -hmm. where can we nurture that how can we nurture that yeah that's a good question and obviously it's depending on every child but like right some good tips so it goes back to just observation and knowing your child and be like what is it at really asking yourself what is it that my child likes what gets their wheels turning and then trying to do more of that or provide them with more experiences that that enhance that. I feel like we're spending a lot of time talking about kids, but really, I think a lot of this work has to do with parents. You can't take anyone to any place that you haven't been. 
So if you have a really hard time identifying your emotions or expressing your emotion, it's unreasonable to expect that your kid will be adept at those things. And that's really probably something you should work on in yourself so you can model even unconsciously that for your kid because they'll pick it up. I feel like that is a huge takeaway. What internal work do we have to do sometimes before we expect something of someone else that we're not even like conscious of that we're not modeling or doing or good at that's why i like to work with parents and kids together because the crux of the work that i do is with the parent and i want to get the parent really reflecting on who they are in their parent-child relationship because i think in there lies the answer to whatever problem they're trying to solve Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people say that dogs are not children and they get mad at dog moms like me. But going back to Caesar Milan, he's always like, no, you have to train the owner, not the pet. <laughs> and I'm like, Moses is on Prozac, probably have no fault of his own. I've created this monster. And <laughs> I'm like, I'm the one that needs training on how to deal with him. Well, OK, like the same is, concept, though. I you know love I mean? that we're talking like about Caesar this. Milan, the parents. Uh-huh. Well, OK, because I love this topic and I think this is actually really interesting and something for the millennials. And our Gen Z's for us to think about, right, is you said exactly what I think a lot of us have a hard time with, Mm -hmm. which is modeling. So, for example, Mm -hmm. I right now I'm like, Jacob and I love to turn on the TV at night and like veg out mentally watching TV. And I'm like, if I had kids right now, that's not what we would be doing. And it's so hard because we do have to model what we want from our children, right? We have to eat right. We have to be nice to our friends we yeah. have to cultivate relationships we have to yeah, if they hear do... you always talking bad about your body and your looks and your weight like that's gonna all absolutely things, like... like we pick mm-hmm. up on those things and it's so interesting be- that you bring that up because i do think so much of it is part is in parenting is modeling mm-hmm. and that is hard to do yeah. because you have to be very conscious about that um even, you know, now being a new auntie, like mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I got to watch my language now. I yeah. need to find a way to help him learn, but I have to go, I have to actively do that. And so it is interesting because I think that's a big piece of parenting that it's like very, it's hard to do, to mm-hmm. stay consistent to the things that you said you want to do mm-hmm. and not make your life easier by soothing their needs right sometimes shout out to the parents because honestly as someone who doesn't have kids i don't know how y'all do it i can barely get myself out of bed and take care of me and these little mutts let alone (laughs) yeah not easy no it's not it's really hard the hardest thing a lot of times parents come to me and they're not necessarily looking at their part in the family system or how they are impacting their child. And that's often what I help them see because I believe that they are really the key to their child's wellness. And so often, and as I said, like this is why I have parents in my session because I want to use them to help their child. Right. Because that's where I believe most of the time the child can overcome whatever it is that they're going through is through Mm -hmm. the relationship with their parent. And if there's some kind of shift there, But yes, it involves them really reflecting on themselves. And that can be hard. We all struggle with it, even naturally reflective people. We all have blind spots. Question for all the parents out there. So let's say you're in a household of 
one parent or two parents who are both working full time, what's some good ways that they can really, when you have limited time, maybe during the week, what are some good things to focus on to help your growth? Set aside time to do playtime with your child as often as possible. If it can be every day, that is great. And if it's only five minutes, that's okay too. Your child will appreciate those five minutes with you. And in those five minutes, do your best to really connect and attune to your child and go along with like what they want to do and make them feel that their interests are interesting to you. And that will mean the world to them, even if it's a short amount of time. Yeah, like I just read something or saw another, of course, Instagram post, but it was like Mm -hmm. it was 10 minutes of undivided time with your child Mm -hmm. is more valuable than 10 hours of no, of being there physically, but not. Yeah. Yeah. So just undivided or undivided attention, I guess. Yeah, totally. Depending on, I know every setting is a little different, but are there some good, when you're talking like playtime, are there some good ideas for playtime that might be good tips or for the aunties out there (laughs) and we're visiting our littles? What are some good things that we can do? Yeah, I'd say I often encourage parents or aunties to do a non-directive game. So play a game with them. That's not like a board game, game with no rules. Try to do something like build something together, use blocks or color or play with stuffed animals or or cars or trucks or little dolls, anything like that. Anything that's open-ended. I like to play restaurants so they can bring me snacks. Oh, restaurants. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect one. (laughs) Like, take my order. Play a restaurant or make something Aunt in the Sammy kitchen. Snack. Love, I actually love that idea. I'm just saying, it's play a restaurant, you guys. It's That's clutch. the way. Yeah, that, I think restaurant is great, and there's so many, there's so many that could come out it's of a win-win restaurant or play cleanup. Maybe uh-huh. that's it. It's interesting because. One of my girlfriends got her nephew like it was like a broom and like all these cleaning mm. things. Uh-huh. But she was like, actually, this is kind of great because we make it fun together. And I thought that was really cute. That's kind of a funny idea. I like to reverse psychology the fuck out of kids. Did you ever play the... I used to, when I babysat my cousins, I'd play the quiet game. We love the quiet game. Oh my God, whoever can be quiet the longest gets a dollar. (laughs) Best dollar ever spent in my life. I'm terrible. Yeah, we love it. Restaurant and the quiet game are like Auntie Sammy's go-tos. Dropping all the tips here. Right. But you know what? Actually, with both of those, I think what's interesting is that the kids in this the stories you just alluded to still liked those games because they like kids yeah. like connection, you know? So yeah, even if yeah. it's doing something that's kind of seems not fun, like cleaning up, as long as they're yeah. connecting with you or having a shared experience with you, it can be meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny too because, okay, so something else that I'm seeing a swing in and I maybe this is just the content that I'm consuming and a lot of the podcasts that I listen to are moms with younger kids and really kind of expressing the idea that they want their kid to be part of their life and trying not to make everything so much about pleasing the child. So meaning like if I'm going to do a girl night, I want my daughter to be there appropriate age, of course, like two or three, whatever for, but I want her to come and I want her to sit down and have talk with us. And of course, to a certain degree, but just having like 
it's funny because thinking about it growing up, right? So for me personally, my mom was a horse trainer. And so she was busy all day, every day. And so the the valuable time that I got with her was in the barn with Mm -hmm. her and was at the horse show. And I remember going literally to a dinner. It was probably midnight. And I was I was younger, maybe five, but I have this like core memory of me mm-hmm. sitting at dinner with my mom and her friends, and I fell asleep. Did at you the, feel cool? I felt cool. Like I loved it. I loved that time with my mom, and it's just I do think it's a lot more simple, maybe in some ways, than we make it. Like not having to structure every single thing around the child. I love the idea of incorporating your child into the things that you do, even with adults and even with not having to separate so much of the not having to create. I think sometimes we overthink it, right? Yeah. It's like children in Africa are literally doing those things. Well, can I ask on the flip side, Tori, though, what about alone time for parents and the fact that I know some people that they go on weekend getaways and obviously I understand being very picky about who you trust your child with. Sometimes just because their family doesn't even mean you would trust your child with them. So I understand the just importance of finding someone you feel safe and comfortable trusting your child with. But once that aside established and you have that, I know some people that are in the camp of, oh, if my kids can't go to a wedding, I'm just not going to the wedding. If my kids aren't invited, I'm either bringing my kids everywhere with me or I'm not going. And then I know other people that are like, oh, I'm fine going on a little weekend getaway and I think it's good for them to be away from me and then I come back refreshed and get to see them. And it's just very interesting how I know a bunch of people pre-kids and then post-kids, there's like very different camps of how they do those things of like adult time versus not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there definitely is. And it's, I I live in Colombia and we had some people over, I think Friday night and one of the people we had over brought their 13-year-old son and he was just with us and he was completely fine. And I think it's just not something I see in the U.S. so much. Like this was, it wasn't like we were doing anything crazy. There was like people drinking and stuff like moderately at the party or modestly. But yeah, it's just so different because I feel like it's just not something you'd see at the U.S. But here it's completely normal. I also think yeah, to your degree, too, or what you're talking about, Sam, is I really do think like being able to make sure if you do have a partner that you two are are still very connected and that can be hard to do with a child. And so I think being mindful of that, right, like still taking the time to be together yeah. and enjoy one another and having a little away time. Eventually, the child will leave the nest and you still need mm-hmm. to have a good, solid relationship. Okay. Are there good maybe tips for that? Like for because I know you speak a lot about that with parents, right? Because a lot of the work you do is with parents. Are there things that you that come to mind when you do have a child and you're incorporating them in their life, like things that you think are important to do? Broad brushstrokes as like a parent. Yeah, I'd say make sure you're okay too, so that they'll be okay. And I think that means not making every aspect of your life about your child. Because I think once again, I'm thinking also about like, what is the, what message that sends to the child too? And about you, that you would just completely sacrifice yourself in every area of your life for your child. It's, 
I don't think that's necessarily the yeah, message you want to send. Right. Especially because I think your child, not when they're a baby, when they're older, can tolerate time away from you. And it's actually mm-hmm. good for them to learn to be away from you and be on their own. Yeah. I think these are all good things to talk about. And like, of course, everything shifts and every child is a little different. But I do love pushing the norm. And I do think that there's, of course, so much that we see on social media. But I do think it's worth talking about. And how can we do better, right? Because I know we all have our own childhood traumas and the things that like, Mm -hmm. but now being older, I'm like, I don't blame my parent for that, because I know this is how I would react. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I think a lot of self reflection, right in ourselves and how to bring up very kind humans who are productive in society to whatever degree that is and what they want to do and how to cultivate creativity and fun and it's stressful being a parent so yeah obviously like having these kind of conversations I think is really important because so many parents go through that it's a lot it's a lot but we're very thankful for people like you who are helping us to make it better Thank you, Carly, so much for your time in this conversation today. We really appreciate everything. Yeah, thank for having me. We've never really like got into mm-hmm. or deep dived yet on the show, so yeah. it was really interesting for us to explore this more and learn. Yeah. Learned a lot today. We did. Yeah. We did. Thank Absolutely. you for having where, me. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. And where can everybody find you? Let us know where's the best place, the platforms, all the things. Yeah, you can find me at carlysteinbergertherapy.com. I am social media list at the moment. It's something I have in the works, but yep, you can find me at my website. And if you can send me a message, if you want to connect deeper or on a deeper level about anything. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you, Carly. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was great low-key how many of those like tips on tantrums are you going to take just to apply to having to deal with me (laughs) right you know what i'm saying so i've been having some tantrums lately (laughs) i've been like i want to take a nap right here oh my god uh the amount of times i've had those moments i know i know you cried in bali and i was like girl it's fine i know a lot of big emotions you were parenting i was i was was gentle parenting you you were were gentle parenting i love this episode because i feel like i learned a lot And I don't know, Carly has this great, soft, calming energy. This is definitely what we needed today. We hope you guys learned a ton from her. If you want to learn more, head over to her website, linked in the show notes for you. And thank you so much for being here with us. As always, make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can find all the goodies. They're linked in the bio. I just updated all of our partners and all the savings there just for you. Great way to support the show. Important link in the bio right now is our next trip. Yes. Bali was the best trip in my entire life. And I've been to a lot of places. And we're going to be talking about that on Friday. Yes, we're talking about it on Friday. But just to kind of preview it here, we're planning our next one. But Mm -hmm. we actually want to really get input from you guys about where you want to go with us. So if you're interested in going on our next trip with us, Go to our link in bio, take the Trova Trip Salmonary survey yeah. so we can vote on next next destination. Absolutely. I need a vacation to look forward to. I know. Well, that's kind of what we've decided. We we love the idea of having something to look forward to for next year. So definitely fill that out. Let us know where you guys want to go. We are so pumped. We cannot wait to share all the tea and the behind the scenes up from our Bali yes. trip. There's lots of goodies in there if, for if you. If you want guys. the Bali BTS, stay yeah. tuned for our bonus episode. Definitely. And 
Thank you so much for always leaving reviews. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, just drop your IG handle so we can reach out and get you free stuff. Absolutely. Make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And stay tuned for a fun bonus. Absolutely. See you on, well, we'll see you again this week. Oh, yeah. We're just drop, pop, lock it, drop it all. Yeah. Can't wait. See you guys then. Bye. Bye. Bye.